Welcome into the Level Up Experience. This was a previously recorded LinkedIn and YouTube live stream with Chuck Pettit, the CEO of Republic, and Ned Lerner, the CEO of Hero.Live. We discuss how startup investing has changed since Reg CF in 2016, the recent rollout of the Republic Note, the no fans effect in sports, the phenomenon of online watch parties, and we take live questions from the stream. Thank you all for leaving five-star ratings and reviews and subscribing. I want to also thank the team over at GG Locators for sponsoring the podcast. You're going to hear from Nicole Minka with one of their feature jobs in esports. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Nicole Minka here with GG Locators. I am excited to tell you about a new opportunity. We are partnering with a D1 university in New England, and we are looking for two experienced esports coaches for Overwatch and Rocket League. The roles are part-time and fully remote, so you can sit anywhere in the U.S. as long as you have a bachelor's degree, as this role is very important for students to be excelling academically and within the game. So if you want to learn more about this, please shoot me a note at info at gglocators.com. And we will tell you some more about it. And pass it over uh, to Ned Lerner, CEO of Hero Live. Great. Uh, yeah, I'm Ned Lerner, uh, CEO of Hero.Live. Uh, my joke is I'm an OG, original gamer. I wrote the game that Electronic Arts based their IPO on in 1987. So I've been writing games longer than half my staff. Uh, but uh, they forgive me. Uh, anyway, uh, so I've been involved in the game business forever and helped in my small part make it is make it what it is today. I spent my last 13 years at Sony PlayStation working on the PlayStation 4 and eager to see the PlayStation 5 come out really soon. Um, so that's just, just a little bit about me. You want me to talk yeah. about Hero too, or uh, we'll, we'll get that later? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, Chuck, okay. go ahead. Uh, cool, so I am um, CEO of the Republic crowdfunding platform. Uh, I'll teach you a little bit more about that later on, but my background is basically, you know, pretty classic New York City, Wall Street stuff, um, hedge funds, entrepreneurship, and then angel investing. Um, I've been with Republic since day one and can't wait to share more about it with you guys. Yeah, again, thanks for jumping on. And just a reminder, if you're on YouTube or LinkedIn, if you have a question or a comment for us, feel free to throw it into chat. We will pull it up and uh, make sure to get some engagement that way. So we'd love to hear any kind of thoughts or comments you guys have throughout. So um, I, I want to I start here. I actually want to start uh, with Chuck, obviously with um, your experience being in, in the financial markets, uh, public and private markets. Uh, you know, the last six months is something we really have never even seen before, uh, being so involved uh, with your platform and, and companies in the startup space. What have you seen that's happened since March when it comes to uh, funding, how that's changed. Um, you know, you look at some of the data w when you had that significant pullback in March uh, when it came to uh, the amount of capital being coming into the private markets and then how that's shifted and how, you know, the dynamic between, you know, early stage um, companies have, it's been a little more of a struggle than later stage. And I don't know, I just want to get your take on some of that. Yeah. So I believe in the United States, I know in New York City, it was somewhere around like March 12th, March 13th like a friday or so that uh, we went into quarantine lockdown people started getting really scared the markets opened back up that following monday and we saw in the private markets the same thing a lot of volatility a lot less investment volume uh, not many people getting 
involved at all. Uh, that was the first week for sure. It was really, really ugly and kind of scary. Uh, the next week saw a little bit of an uptick, but most importantly, we started seeing some comments left by investors that were really promising. Uh, they were there to support. They were still you know, actively looking for viable investment opportunities. They were leaving comments that led us to believe that maybe it's not that, you know, maybe it won't be that bad. By week three of, uh, you know, the quarantine, we were actually back to 100% week four. And every week after that, we are above 100%. Uh, investment volume in the private capital, in the private capital markets, I'd say since that third or fourth week has actually been, you know, at or above average consistently week in, week out. Um, Republic, you know, ourselves have had record, you know, March, I think was ended up being like a pretty like average, you know, flattish month, but April, May, June, July, August, those were all record months for us. And it just kept on going up, which is a, um, a great thing to have happen. We were worried, you know, yeah, but that sure. was about a week that we were worried. And since then it's been kind of like, you know, how do we ride this wave even more? Because it's been, you know, really exciting. Has it brought more awareness awareness to the, the private markets themselves? Yeah. I think it just actually created more demand for private markets and mm. private market opportunities because people are, well, first of all, the, the mass crowd is more sophisticated than they're ever given credit for. And they're looking to diversify their portfolios. They're looking to de-risk their portfolios and having a component of private investments in it, you know, that, that leads to de-risking and diversification. So they're, they're really, um, smarter than they're, you know, than people are led to believe at least. And they're, and they're trying hard to, to, you know, set up, you know, successful financials for themselves. Yeah. I want to get into Republican in just a second, but uh, you know, Ned over the last six months with, with Hero Live, talk a little bit about, um, you know, as a founder of a startup through all this, what you guys have went through and then um, kind of where you guys are at now with Hero uh, when it comes to, you know, dealing with uh, March and April and kind of that, that time. And then where you guys are at now. Sure. Uh, well, before COVID, we were already pitching ourselves as a antidote to social isolation. That's the social isolation we were talking about is so many teenagers spending so much of their time with their phones glued six inches mm -hmm. or 12 inches away from their face instead of actually, you know, going, going out and seeing people. So when COVID hit, we're like, this is bizarre, but but maybe good for us, maybe bad for lots of people, but maybe good for us. And we saw uh, you know, a big spike in usage uh, right, right in March, uh, basically right away. And then we've been racing to sort of keep up with demand. We've been getting all sorts of business organizations calling, saying, hey, can you help us? Uh, so it's just been a mad race to, to, to advance the product another year ahead of time in a few months. Um, but, and then when I think about it going further, I see this as a, a, the future's ex getting accelerated by five or 10 years. It, this would have happened eventually, but it would have taken a lot longer. Um, I keep on talking to people and reading about people who are like, I never use Zoom before and I only use it because I have to, but actually <laughs> it's it really is nice when I can't A, B, C, D. So mm -hmm. it's been a fascinating uh, process to be part of. Yeah, for those for context, uh, talk a little about what Hero Live does um, and some of the, like, what's happened the last couple quarters as far as the technology. Sure. So the big idea is based on multiplayer games, which is it's really fun to play games with your friends. Mm -hmm. 
and we've seen that take over the game business in the last 10, 15 years. Games used to be single player, now they're multiplayer. They started off with multiplayer with text chat, World of Warcraft era 10, 15 years ago. Now they're almost all multiplayer with voice. It's a social experience. If you, if you have kids, they'll be spending hours a day with their friends uh, playing games. And it's, you know, it's, it's, they used to go over to their friends' houses, now they just hang out and talk. And we, we see the opportunity that not just for games, but for all sorts of media consumption, starting with TV, movies, shows. And so we've built a platform to take that game-like experience, playing and watching with friends and talking with friends to be to everything else. So YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, ESPN, Fox Sports. We want to be able to watch all the stuff you normally watch with the people you would like to be sitting next to on the couch and uh yeah just racing to put all the pieces together to get to get that nice complete package to people the goal being we want to be the best watch party for individuals and for businesses we want to be the best alternative to putting a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand people in a venue which is great but really expensive and also asks a lot of people to fly to the Super Bowl when they can, in fact, watch it from home and hang out with their friends there too. Mm -hmm. So that's, so, yeah. Yeah, I know you've kind of mentioned like a, a virtual VIP box. Right. So there are a couple innovations we came up with. One is we had to create our own smart TV stack from scratch to make it a customizable smart TV to make it instead of just a smart TV, a social TV where mm -hmm. everything you watch, you can watch with friends while you're talking to them. Um, that's the sort of sim single user experience. Uh, but for it to be fun, when you go to the game, you go almost always with a couple friends. Or if, even if you go by yourself, you'll end up talking to the person to the left and the right. So the trick is, instead of piling 10,000 people into one big room and having it a noisy, chaotic mess, like, <laughs> or what Zoom does is really simple. They just mute everyone except for two or three people. So you get mm -hmm. you go to these Zoom events. There's 1,000 people. 997 are muted, at which point you might as well be watching on TV. So our trick is we we, we break everybody up into small groups, uh, like a VIP box at a stadium, or inviting people over your house to watch the Oscars at a little watch party. And we can have 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 groups of 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. So you can hang out with your friends, talk and watch, have fun, make noise, not particularly bother anybody else. But if everybody goes crazy, we can create that crowd effect by adding up 100, 1,000, 10,000 voices. So it's a sort of, it's very much like, a, again, a VIP box at a stadium where there's some sound insulation, you can hang out and talk without bothering the crowd. But when the crowd gets noisy, you also are part of that experience. And uh, it adds a level of excitement that watching by yourself just can't do. Yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to take, take it to another uh, area here about you know, no fans in the stand situation that we're in right now. It's it's really fascinating to me. I'm a Saints fan, so uh, you know, every Sunday, you know, or, or Monday, uh, I want to forget about this Monday for, uh, for for the Saints. It was not a great game against the Raiders. Um, but uh, you know, what that just the way it looks like. You know, each uh, each team has kind of come up with their own. Like the Raiders aren't going to have any fans at all. Some stadiums have some. I think like like the Cowboys, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, just what is your take around that? Like it's, it was just really interesting to see that. And obviously the NBA bubble, uh, how that's, that's a different dynamic than other leagues, uh, at the major league baseball, um, every league's handling a little bit differently. Just get your take around 
that that experience over the past 12 months. And then Chuck, if you want to add, if you want to start in talking about uh, like technology that surrounded creating these experiences. Um, I guess I'll go first. Oh, go mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been fascinating to watch. So I've been tracking that really carefully because it's so near and dear to our, our mission of being a virtual stadium and seeing how everybody else is handling it is fascinating. Um, all the sports leagues are using sound effects from games, including games I've worked on. So like baseball is actually using sound effects from MLB The Show, which is a PlayStation game I've got some, you know, I helped, me and many other people helped make. Mm -hmm. um, this, I, the way I think of it is, <laughs> so it's, it's awesome to have a live crowd. You, mm -hmm. you, you feel it, you, 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 it makes it come alive. If you go to a practice game, uh, it feels dead. If you go to a, a sports game with no crowd, it feels like a practice game, even though it isn't, because you you just know there's supposed to be people there. So the sort of next best thing is you simulate that crowd with recorded sound effects. But you're you're we're too smart. We, we pretty quickly realize it's a fake crowd, and it just kind of out of sync, and it just kind of just keeps on annoying you. It's like ah. You know, something amazing happened and I didn't hear anything. It's like, mm -hmm. is the audience asleep? Because <laughs> that's what the way your brain interprets it. It's like, hey, if I don't hear the crowd getting exciting, then therefore there is nothing exciting going on. So it's this mm -hmm. kind of messy, confusing combo of recorded sounds that don't quite work. And, you know, Hero is actually a live crowd. So when you watch in mass in Hero, you get that. You get that instant reaction to stuff on screen. You don't get people banging and you know smacking and stuff because we don't expect people to do this when uh, when there's not other people doing it. But but you get all the vo vocalizations, whether it's chants or exclamations or whatever. So it's, um, anyway, so ha halfway there. That's, that's the way I describe it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I feel for the, the sports leagues. We were talking to all of them and they're all, just scrambling not only to deal with the crowd thing but the health you know everything the scheduling the games the health of the players they, they they're just <laughs> their their usual routines are completely disrupted so uh they're yeah i i give them credit for for all the strange interim solutions they're coming up with so i i think what we've seen at republic um and what we'll continue to see, and part of the reason why there's been so much success, not only with companies raising capital, but their actual business and their revenues and their growth, mm -hmm. has been the situation we're in is, has has caused or forced people to kind of fire up the creative juices. And they're coming up with um, you know, better ways to do things. They're becoming more efficient. They're pushing harder to be successful. And we just happened to be moving in a, in a direction when this started to kind of expand our reach and you know with opportunities that we offer investors so if you don't know republic is a two-sided marketplace uh, for private companies to you know, one side is that private companies can come and raise capital leveraging different securities exemptions regulation cf regulation a regulation d early to late stage and then investors, they can come in accredited or non-accredited and invest in these opportunities. Um, there are equity deals, there's fixed income deals, there's revenue share deals. So that's what it is today, but six, eight, 10 months ago, we had just you know equity deals only, and we were you know, getting 
to a point where we wanted to have more expertise in our team, more ex more optionality for investors to to make investments in, and we acquired a video game investment platform named Fig, solely focused on revenue share agreements. Uh, we acquired a, a real estate investment platform named Compound, a lot of fixed income return like investment opportunities for investors. Uh, we had a blockchain division that you know has been successful now for about three years. We have uh, a Main Street vertical, like a mom and pop brick and mortar type um, play that we'll be announcing in probably 15 or 30 days that will be another vertical and another opportunity for investors to get further diversification in their private portfolio. Um, but with those initiatives happening at Republic plus people's creative juices really kicking in because of the circumstances that they've been put in, you're seeing um, that's I think driving a lot of the success today that why we had record months back to back to back to back why more people are getting involved in the private markets because they see it as being truly viable. And we're actually able now to offer them a series of different investment opportunities across a bunch of different industries and a bunch of different ways for them to earn money on their investments and things that they don't have to wait five, seven, 10 years for that you typically do in a standard Silicon Valley tech firm. You can put it into a real estate deal or a video game deal and get it back in one, two, three years and not just like a couple bucks, but one, two, three, five X of your actual investment. Um, one of the questions I see in the in the in the you know the chat box is what percent of the companies do you work with? You know, will become unicorns. I I that's impossible to say, but I think yeah. it's important for you know individuals who are asking those questions to understand that we're not just offering super high risk reward tech investment opportunities. Uh, you can get into, you know, well-known video game developers, well-known sponsor and developers in the real estate industry. Um, you can get into, you know, your local salon or pizza store or restaurant that is, you know, turning over great revenue on an annual basis, but they have a hard time getting a loan from a local lender, but we can offer them competitive and you get a competitive return on your, on your investment. So those are uh, really exciting things that are happening at Republic. And I think that will continue to kind of, you know, push us into the future and and there'll be more and more demand for the things that we're offering, the things that we're planning on bringing onto our platform in the, you know, in the coming months and years. And real quick, something I'm, I'm really interested in, and I'm sure people that um, may not know about it would be interested in hearing about it, is Republic Note. If you could talk about that for just a minute. Yeah. So Republic Note, uh, a couple of years ago, we, we made a move to tokenize um, what I'd say is our most valuable asset at Republic. And that asset is each of the investments that we get in, in the companies we work with. So every company we work with, we get a cash commission and a securities commission. Um, those securities commissions we put into one, you know, asset class, one, one bucket. I think that's probably against like security laws to say it like that, but it's just you know, easiest way to explain it for lack of better words. And then we tokenized that, you know, that asset. And that was for all past deals, all present deals and all future deals on Republic. And then we sold that because we had tokenized it to the public. So it's a, um, it's a profit sharing investment for investors in the Republic note. Every time a company that we had worked with and again, past, present and future. So there's more to come obviously. And to give you an idea, we've had about 250 companies in the note right now. Next year alone, we'll do a minimum of 275 new offerings. So that will double the number of companies that are in the note. But every time one of those companies has an exit, uh, those that exit profit or exit, you know, uh, capital is distributed to our note holders. Uh, they can also receive 
revenue share or any type of fixed income stream that's coming from the real estate deal, so on and so forth. So it is our, it's our profit sharing token is what it is. Makes sense. Yeah, it's like an immediate way to get exposure to hundreds of companies and a lot of companies that you never would have been able, you know, been able to invest in. We've raised capital for um, uh, SpaceX and Robinhood and Carta and a, a lot of companies that you've heard of or maybe use their products and services for, but you didn't really realize that Republic actually raised capital for them. Well, now you're getting exposure to those companies through the Republic note, uh, which is a really cool thing. Yeah, it's yeah. just democratization of getting being able to get involved in in um, in the private markets, right? And, and you talk about like for example, I use the example of ByteDance. You know, ByteDance may not go public until they're a hundred billion dollar company, right? Companies are staying private much longer than they were ten years ago, right? So it's it's just given that opportunity. So it's it, it is it's really it is really interesting. Thanks for explaining kind of the Reg D, Reg A plus, Reg CF, uh, and also on, on the note as well. Thanks for explaining oh, all that. So, one other you know note on note, and I said yeah. we we started this two years ago. We've been mm -hmm. through a very heavy lift with a legal and regulatory process. The public sale of the token that we you know did about a month and a half ago, two months ago. That was phase three of a, of a four part, you know, or series three, part three of a, a four part series. So mm -hmm. um, the fourth part will be finalization of the regulatory component and then actually publicly, you know, distributing the tokens that were sold and then having those go on to a couple different uh, uh, exchanges immediately after so that they're freely tradable too. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. Um, so a little bit of a shift. Uh, so, Ned. You jumped on uh, Hero Live, went on the Republic for, for went on Republic for the campaign. Talk a little bit about that experience. What the experience has been like on Republic and uh, sharing information on that. Well, since Chuck is here, I have to be nice, right? No, no, <laughs> That's the uh, it's actually. Uh, I've, I've, I think I've already recommended. So we we I met Chuck. Uh, he came to talk to 500 Startups Batch 25 a year ago, and um, I I I was. I followed somebody else who had a very, very successful campaign in our startup batch, and I, in turn, have recommended others. Uh, it's been, how would I describe it? Uh, it's all new to me. <laughs> so thankfully, the folks on uh, the Republic side, uh, it's not new to them. As, as Chuck says, uh, they've, they've been there before. And even talking to uh, people who've been on not that long before us, they, they keep on tweaking and improving and cleaning it up to make it even easier. So it's been surprisingly uh, organized compared to my usual investor experience, which is, <laughs> you know, who knows what you're going to get. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, we, we went in knowing or hoping that we would not only get uh, some good invest, get good investment dollars, but we'd actually like gather a, a team of fans and supporters at this point it's over 1500 people who we can now tap and say hey please try this out please spread the word so this it's it's not exactly a fan club but uh mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like that and um one so I'm trying to think of something more useful to say yeah uh, no because yeah. yeah the question yeah. I was gonna say has it built has it built a community uh that, you know like I think feedback I, yeah, well, one thing to acknowledge is that these investors, as Chuck was saying, are going to be with us for the long term through exit. And so this is the beginning of a cycle. And uh, yeah, we will we will tap into our community more and more as we mature. Um, it's it is 
uh, yeah, it, I'd, I'd rather have a thousand real people invest in my company than some 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 Harvard MBA who may or may not even use the product. The only, all they really care about is uh, the numbers and the and the and the return to their firm, which you know I care about too. But I, mm -hmm. in particular for our thing, it's very user and user experience oriented. So I, I want real people uh, involved. So yeah, we talk about like the feedback loop, and obviously. Um, you all have been being in you know the startup space for for years, understanding this. You know, the faster the feedback loop, the better. You know, yeah, that you want to yeah. you want to optimize that. So yeah. I think I just think inherently looking at it, it creates that community. Yeah, yeah. Ned, I'm not sure if you um, were released our beta version of what we're calling social capital, but you'll have access to it in full. I, I, just, I got I got an email a couple days ago, and I just just spent a little bit of time looking into it, going hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now what? Net has so. fifteen hundred investors on Republic as of as mm -hmm. of today, and mm -hmm. we created a tool that helps our founders, you know, communicate with their um, investors in a really efficient way. So we collect information from investors uh, who want to help their portfolio companies, and they once they agree to do that, they provide information about themselves, what they're experts in, where they live, you know, who they have access to, their network. And then Ned can look at it in a condensed like way and say, "Hey, I have 200 people who are business, you know, BD people, or 200 are um, legal people, or 500 are marketer people." And, and then he can actually have a, a pretty like efficient conversation or ask when he goes to his investor base. Because right before that, it was you had 1,500 investors, and man, you'd have to do a lot of digging. But now we've done that digging for you and, and condensed it in a way that you can actually get a lot of value out of it. And I can even see bring it bringing someone on. Uh, to potentially on your advisory board or bringing someone on um, I mean, as an actual you know, full-time employee potentially, right? Because you have that access and you know who you who you have on your team. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, it's, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, I did want to grab a question real quick. So again, if you have a question on YouTube or on LinkedIn, feel free to post it because we will pull those up. Uh, Satwant Singh has a question uh, for Ned. What is attraction like for Hero from games, TV content, an education sector to date, or what does it look like going forward? Uh, so, our like every other startup, we're getting, we're learning every day, and we're, there are a certain amount of surprises. We went in with a very heavy focus on games, and um, we just, but what we actually found out is the most popular thing to watch on our service is YouTube, uh, and it's actually eighty percent outside the USA. So a lot of the things that people are watching, I don't know what I don't know what it is because it's in a foreign language. Um, uh, that being said, we just released our support of all the top twelve American sports TV stations: uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, NBC Sports, TNT, and the and you know which get, gets you access to the basketball finals, baseball, football, and those folks. That there's. That's where I th we think the sweet spot is uh, right now. That's, it's you know, sports are absolutely perfect to watch with your friends. You used to you, you used to be able to invite people over your house to watch a game. Now you can't even do that, let alone go to the game. So uh, we're seeing that I don't know. I I won't say exploding, but mm -hmm. we're seeing incredibly promising early results of that. And you know, we're on Republic for multiple reasons. One is to build a team fan. And one is because we have we, we, we want to grow and we need the capital to market and promote our product. And so 
the, our deal is scheduled to close on October 19th, at which point we will be very much ready to deploy some of that capital to attack these markets. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. So timing is good. And then real quick, what's on the short-term horizon uh, over the next, let's say, you know, two, three months? Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thanks for asking, Chris. So it's been, a, it's been, like I said, a crazy few months. We, I, I've learned not to make specific promises about dates, but sure. we are really close to getting Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, all working. And uh, we've got a really nice mobile product. Our PC product is rapidly maturing. We'll, we should have a version on the PC that does all the same things that mobile does, at which point you'll be able to invite your friends. A lot of people have said, I want to watch on the biggest device I have. And so that's not a phone. That's going to be a for some people, it's going to be a laptop, and then for us, and there's another set of people. It's going to be a TV. We have a plan to get to TV through casting and mirroring, but uh, one step at a time. So uh, we're hoping this it's this fall we'll have this, like I said, this ultimate watch party where it's all the stuff you want to watch on the on not every device you want to watch on, but all all your phones, all your PCs, and and then on the in the future also even on TV. So that's, yeah. So it's, it's uh, again, the timing is exciting. <laughs> Everything is co coming together right around the same day. So, yeah. Yeah, in, in the end, creating that, that online engagement. And Chuck, you talked about just being so being, being involved uh, as heavily as you are in, in the startup space and, and supporting these companies on Republic and uh, creating those new experiences that haven't been created yet, right? Because, you, like you said, there it's it's pushing innovation and like it's accelerating. We talk about this a ton uh, on these streams, but a, a lot of this, a lot of the innovation has been accelerated. In, you know, three, five, ten years. Um, that if it wasn't for COVID, it wouldn't have had those conversations around it. So I always find that I always find that really really fascinating. Um, but yeah, so just again, if you have a question, feel free to to jump in. Um, I think there was another question that came in as well. We're going to pull it up here. Uh, so any interest in getting a series a and our VC is excited about hero Alive? That was from set one. Um, <laughs> I'm a practical guy to me. Excitement means write me a check. So, mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty high series. A we believe we'll be able to attract series a money, uh, hopefully early next year at a significant multiple to the price we're currently offering on Republic, hopefully times two, times four, times six. So uh, if, if so, we not only will I be happy in my team, but our investors should also be very pleased. Uh, for us, that's right. Series A is, again, a, a higher valuation, bigger dollar amount. Instead of a million dollar cap, it's probably like a $20 million cap. So much, much bigger game. And we need to demonstrate significant growth um, to do that. And again, that's exactly the purpose of the financing on Republic, to give us that capital to grow, I'm hoping, by times 10 or maybe even by times 20, at which point the valuation, the valuation won't go up by times 10 or times 20, but it might go up by times 4. So that's exactly the state we're in right now. So it's an intermediate. Republic is the bridge between the 500 startups accelerator and the Series A um, big dollars. So the, the good news for Ned is that um, just over 70% of our campaigns go on to raise, uh, I call it just institutional investment post-campaign. That can be from VC, corporate, 
um, so on and so forth, but accredited investors, which is always a, a really cool stat to hear to, you know, for me because it's successful. And one of the tips, Ned, the thing that actually has helped and what the feedback that I've received, my team has received is that those investors love the comments that investors make during the ah, campaign. Excellent. Uh, I, I can tell you, I love them, but I didn't know if anybody else cared. Because yeah, they do. I, yeah, it's uh, it's a great example my, my, about helping, yeah, not just my, with their checks. My joke about venture capitalists is they've all trained themselves not to follow their own per, um, preferences. So I, my sense is every VC, when they were younger, bet on something just because they liked it. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But when, it, when, it, when, it, when they do that, their partners beat them up. And so they train themselves to be very, very numerically driven. And they won't, they won't trust their instincts where you get an earlier stage investor who uses the product and loves the product and writes a $100 or $500 check. They, they are they're the true consumer users. And that's, that's great for us at this stage where it's like, hey, Try our product, use it. If you like it, write us, you know, mm. own a piece of the company. Um, that's yes, anyway. So it's it's been a, my general sense and the advice I've been giving to other entrepreneurs is Republic is ideal if your product is something that a normal person can understand and use, whether mm -hmm. it's a sports drink or a watch party or you know even even certain kinds of real estate investment, which we a lot of people have familiar with. Uh, if, yeah. if it doesn't fit necessarily some sort of deep AI tech, which you have to have a PhD to understand, because I don't, I don't know how the crowdfunding folks will be able to, to, to make that leap. Um, but they have, I mean, yeah, they have. well, there's a lot of people on it. So there's even, even that probably leaves you like a thousand potential investors, right? Chuck. Right. I and mean, when you get into like things like deep tech or SaaS or these, you know, even like biotechnology, as long as the you know, the focus of the product is on something that's relatable to the mass audience. Like, you know, if you have a, a biotech company that's, you know, got some crazy, you know, whatever science <laughs> going on, focused on gene editing, yeah. colon cancer, there's going to be a lot of people in the crowd who've had an experience or have a relative and they can, it's relatable. That's just enough to get them interested to, to go and like actually read to, you know, maybe watch a little bit of your video. They don't really depend on the video. It's not like a Kickstarter where they make a decision based on the video. Um, the data shows that they're really depending on uh, the body of the story, the key, like, you know, the key metrics that have been hit or the key achievements of the company since it started. And then they make an informed decision to invest. And if they're, they're doing that, you know, if there's a relatability thing that draws them in, that's great. But then they actually do go into diligence in some form. Some take, you know, a few are on the minute side, then you get some that are on the weeks, you know, in the weeks and days side. So like, they're not much different than any angel investor you run out there, you know, into out there, or even venture capital investors. I've seen some individual investors on on our platform who are doing 50 bucks that do more diligence than the venture capitalists I know from my life personally. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not gonna make fun of anybody, but yeah. <laughs> it's good to be the friend of, of, uh, of a powerful venture capitalist, we'll put it that way. Yeah. A quick question, Chuck, on, on the uh, the diligence process when it comes to getting on Republic. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, well, you know, I won't use that as an example. <laughs> Generally, we, you know, we receive an application either cold or warm. Um, mm -hmm. 
it, it, it'll be given a topical review. We kind of make a couple of assumptions and quick, you know, quick estimates. If it's looking good, we'll request a diligence call. Um, well, actually, at first we, we have like a sales call where we educate them about what this is all about, what they need to do, make sure that they're on the same page. If we're feeling good about that, it goes to diligence. Um, diligence will have, you know, at least one, sometimes two phone calls. Occasionally, not like recently, it'd be in person. Uh, we'll do a couple follow-ups, a couple specific document requests, cap table, some finances, things like that. My phone is ringing. Um, <laughs> one more second. Yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll step in. So yeah, we sure. went through. We've we've been on the other side of the diligence process. Uh, Republic did more diligence than our professional investors. I think it's there's this SEC compliance step that actually took took some took a while. We need right, reviewed so that, it, reviewed all the legal documents, all the accounting documents. Uh, so that's had, really hard too. Yeah. So like our diligence yeah. team will do a deep dive. They you know do product market fit. They do some research and background checks on the founder and, and whatnot. But they'll you know even make a report. We take that to investment committee and sign off on it, yes or no. But diligence does not stop there. When and what what Ned was talking about is there is a regulatory process. There is a, a financial review process. There's further background checks. This is what happens during onboarding. So this is it's also it's required to have a compliant campaign to have a live campaign essentially. Once it goes live, it, it still doesn't stop there. We have regulatory duties and fiduciary duties as well. So if someone in the crowd you know, sticks their head up and says, hey, I know this founder and they, they dogged me on a, on a loan and it was for their business. And then we have to actually start picking up all the stones and looking underneath them to say, Okay, we we were you know we received this information. Let's find out if it's true. Did they report this in in their forms when they disclosed you know information to the SEC? Did they report this to us in the documents that were provided by their accountant? Um, if they didn't, it's something that we have to you know further look into. Uh, there'll be things that come up during a campaign just because of the normal course of business for the company. Um, there's things that we also will earmark in diligence to say on this month whether they, they're onboarding or they're with a live campaign, we have to do a check-in on something like runway. Uh, we have to do a check-in on a, on, a, uh, on a debt, you know, a debt due, like what was the actual outcome of that? Sometimes there's law cases, sometimes they're tolerable, sometimes they're not. So we have to navigate through a lot of different things that are happening in diligence, but it gets spread out over time and we get an extremely like close-up look under the hood of, at companies. Uh, whereas other groups, especially some angel investors, some angel investor groups, like they basically make their decision over three or four phone calls, two or three meetings, a couple weeks, and they're you know off to the checkbook. But we're with these people in, in a partnership type relationship, getting a great look at everything over a period of from start to finish. I mean, Ned, you've been you've had a bit of a longer campaign than most people because of Meet the Drapers, the television show. But typically we're with people in a partnership type atmosphere for four months, getting to know each other really, really well. So we get access to a lot of information. And that's, you know, that's diligence. Diligence is not a two-week thing. It is a entire length of the process thing. I was going to ask what the average, ask what the average uh, campaign duration was. We like to do like an arbitrary something 100 and 120 days, um, mostly because it's difficult to extend a campaign. It's difficult regulatory to do it. There's a cost to it. 
There's actually a potential loss of investment from it. And it's just general, it's just brain damage. Mm -hmm. But to close a campaign early is super easy. So we do 100, 120 days. Most of the time people will say like, hey, I'm only, I'm only gonna go 75 days. And then they get to like 75, like this has been great. I'm gonna let it go the full 100. Um, and you know, they run out the rest of the campaign, so. Okay, that makes, that makes sense, that makes sense. It's definitely not like Kickstarter. A lot of people think it's like a rewards base where you can do it in 30 days, you create FOMO. Like I said before, like people are a lot of times in, in Kickstarter type campaigns, reward-based campaigns are basing their decision off of a, a video because in their minds they're like, well, that video just told me X and I have to give them Y, 50 bucks, and maybe in 90 days they're gonna send me that actual product. Where here they're like, okay, I just learned all this information. If I give them 50 bucks, what's my actual feeling and gut instinct that they're going to act? What's the you know probability of them giving me that 50 bucks plus additional bucks back in two, three, five years? So it's a, it's a longer thought process. And that's another reason why you want to have a longer campaign. Yeah, it, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I do want to grab a quick question um, from Adam on LinkedIn, or actually more of, I guess, a statement. Um, so you said here idea was, is cool. Being able to watch video feed together is a great idea and super responsive. I'm curious how much of the audience is made up of people watching esports feeds together, uh, including YouTube and Twitch. Yeah. So our, our theory going in, which may be biased by the fact that half the company are, are game people was that we'd see, uh, that the esports folks would be the dominant for dominant force. But in practice, video and demands are the dominant. And I think that reflects the simplicity of organizing you or two or three friends to watch something when you can pick any time, day or night to watch it. Uh, Esports uh, e typically is only available like on the weekend and it's great, mm -hmm. but then it goes away for a few days. And um, that being said, we are <laughs> we are talking to over we've signed over 20 esports deals and we are putting together a package i won't say specifically for esports but specifically for sports and esports at which point we think we'll see uh, a lot more interest from those folks that that what i referred to earlier this what we call the crowd mixer the ability to hear not just your group but hundreds or thousands of other groups that's that's scheduled for q4 and that we think will if if we can convince people that that's a better way to watch sports or esports, mm -hmm. then we think the deals will uh, reflect that imp that improvement. Right right now, you can have a million people watching esports, and all they do is type, and that's really not my view of how I cheer in sports. I don't type cheer. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, yeah, one these our our startup is ambitious. But it also means that there's a long roadmap. It's features roll out quarter after quarter after quarter. And this feature specifically for sports and sports are still coming soon. First, first we got to get it to work for small groups. Then we can get it to work for larger groups. So, and, you know, I think about now, obviously, like with the NBA bubble, uh, well, and also in commercials, I think in NFL, uh, doing like the video board with all this, the, the, like almost looks like a Zoom call on the wall. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's it's Microsoft Teams, which is their mm -hmm. uh, their attempt to take some of Zoom's market share. Zoom's worth last I checked was worth seventy five billion dollars. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which seems like a lot, but Microsoft's worth a trillion plus. Mm -hmm. So 
the, the, the Titans battle. And uh, our, our plan is to work with everybody. <laughs> so, uh, because we're, we aggregate all the different sources of video, we aggregate all the different devices and let you have fun. Uh, the, the, the Titans all fight uh, and they say, no, no, you only can watch certain things in my app. It's like, okay, whatever. But yeah, the Microsoft Teams thing and NBA is, uh, it's, it's okay. It's better, again, it, almost anything's better than an empty chair. Uh -huh. For me, as a as a viewer of NBA games, it's like I'd probably describe it as slightly annoying. <laughs> it's I, I, uh, I you know again well, people, if, are, if, people are experimenting, people are learning, people are trying new stuff. Good, good for them. That's the way it has to be. Yeah, because it was stick figures or like with like people's faces on it. Oh, well, the there's, cardboard there's still, baseball yeah. thing that <laughs> yeah. that group got tired real quick. Uh, yeah, the, Chuck doesn't I, look like Chuck. You don't look like a fan of that. I don't like cardboard people. I don't. Yeah, I'm like a baseball hits one of them in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have anything useful to say. I, again, I'm used to the game business where we've they simulate they simulate everything. They simulate mm -hmm. the stadiums, the crowds, the sounds. And they've spent years doing it. And it works really, really good. And the the TV guys are trying to catch up to like twenty years of game development in one year. And you know they're trying. Give give them two or three years, they'll get they'll get there. So and ho hopefully we're part of that that new better way to do it. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's yeah the game people are so far ahead, which is why most of our ideas are coming from the game business and not from the traditional TV business. Right. And then, yeah, go back to the Zoom thing as far as it was just path of least resistance, in my opinion. I'm not I'm not banging on Zoom or anything like that. It was just what was the easiest thing to do with the path, the least, the path of least resistance, yeah. like right. click a couple buttons and you're in the meeting. That's what people wanted. Right. So that's what did very well. Uh, now, again, as we go along in time, it's going to be about more innovative uh, experiences. Right. Um, like, you know, like with like webinars and stuff like that. So it. it it's it's gonna it's gonna work itself out right over time. So it's I, I really the 2.0 of like what these immersive experiences are like. So we haven't even talked about you know VR and AR and everything else attached to that. Um, so yeah, it's it's like really exciting times because all that's been accelerated too. Because you know VR AR full scale was you know a number of years away in my opinion. I kept saying that like last year. Just that was just my opinion, but it's gone a lot faster. Yeah. Um, so ten, yeah, Ex five or ten year acceleration. I think mm -hmm. the way I think of this, this pandemic, it's just mm -hmm. pushing everything as fast as possible forward. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, we're up against about, we're almost the hours almost up. So wanted to make sure that you guys um, let everyone know how to get connected with you. So Ned, I'd like to have you go first and have Chuck jump on. Oh, well, uh, the best way to connect with us is through Republic website. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, you can find us pretty easy if you just go to republic.co and um, I think it's republic.co slash hero live or something, but it's better just to go through the regular regular navigation thing and you'll click on us pretty quick. Uh, um, and uh, one thing that as much as Chuck talked, it's, it's an open platform. Everything there is available to the public. If you want to ask me a question, I, I'll answer it as fast as I can and 2,000 other people will read your answer too, and that'll be memorialized for the SEC for the rest of time. So I better tell the truth. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it to Chuck for, for more, uh, I think, at this point. What a great compliant founder. That was right. awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I'm at republic.co. Mm -hmm. You take a wild stab, I'm sure you can figure out my email, which would be chuck at republic.co. I do reply to emails, so yeah. that's the best way to get a hold of me. Right. 
So Chuck is laughing because I'm actually supposed to channel all my communications through Republic, not through my personal email address, which I was very careful to do. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Complot. I'll, I'll still tell the truth. I promise. I, I promise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Compliant. That's the one thing I took away from this, that, that Ned's right. Mr. Compliant. Um, so. I, actually, one quick question because it came in from Tyler. I hope you, you're doing well, Tyler. Uh, it says, is Hero working with colleges that have esports teams to drive interest? Uh, yes, we're doing. Yes, we are. Uh, in fact, we've brought on some. We've brought on three different esports team founders to do various marketing and business development roles in the last few months. Again, thank mm -hmm. you, Republic. Uh, we are we're doing an event with SFU Esports last weekend, this weekend, and uh, yeah, we're. Uh, I, I made a little bit of fun of the NBA for practicing and learning and trying, and we're at some level a miniature version of that. Every the same week, thing. We're trying something new. We're fix, finding things, adding things, fixing things. Uh, I, I, I don't like being bored, and I am definitely not bored right now. Thank you. <laughs> we, call it, we call it living on the edges. Living on the That's, edge, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll take I'll take the the pain and hopefully uh, my my team and my investors takes the gain so that that would be fine. Yeah, this is a good question. Good question, Tyler. So yeah, guys, thanks for jumping on. Uh, LinkedIn, all the questions. Thank you all for all the comments. I really do appreciate you all spending time here. 